Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 221. I am John Davis, and joining me today around our Keystone-like table in MotorWeek uh, Studio C is Brian Robinson, our writer extraordinaire. Good afternoon, John. Over the edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hello there. And our road test producer, Kyle Scanlon. Hello. And nice to have you three gentlemen with me today. We're going to talk about some of the cars we've recently tested, do a lightning round. We've got a viewer question. We'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave. Let's start off with the 2020 Mazda CX-30. Kyle, this is a vehicle that confuses me to no end. How is it much different than two other vehicles that they've already got? Tell us about it. Uh, well, it seemed to confuse a lot of people and a lot of the journalists when we were there. And one of the main questions everyone kind of asked is, why didn't they just go with CX-4? The reason behind that is they have a CX-4 that's already out there, but it's only sold in China. So they couldn't make a car that's a little bit different, name it the same thing. All those kind of fine details, but um, I can say you know it's just it's just a little mid-range you know crossover SUV. I would say there's nothing extremely special about it. Well, now straighten me out. Now it's you know you've got the 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 CX3 and now you got the CX30, right? Yep. Right. Okay. One's based on the three series. One's based on the two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you know the lineage better than yeah I don't know the lineage. I of believe these the CX three is based is the is the th- is the, is the Mazda three CX thirty is and the Mazda two. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little it's a hair smaller yes. as far as certainly the platform it's it's based on, and it's a little more coupish looking. Yes, it is. So that's you know in jiving with what everybody's doing. It just seems to me that for I mean obviously. People, folks like BMW and Mercedes get away with this all the time. But when you're talking about really small vehicles, it, it seems pretty slicing it pretty thin. But what did you think about driving it? Um, I thought it was relatively underpowered, to be honest. You know, mm. They say it has class-leading horsepower, but then in my mind, that just means that the entire class is going to be underpowered. If, or they're just not getting the power to the wheels properly. But you put the pedal to the floor in that thing. We were driving from San Diego out to Palm Springs on an unusually mm. rainy day for Southern California. But even with it being rainy, you know, and it being slick on the road, you put the pedal to the metal on that thing, and it really doesn't go. It just much. thinks about it. For yeah, it thinks it about anything. it. For, you can take a nap before you really start picking up. Anybody got another pressure by it? I mean, I, I've seen it. Obviously, I haven't driven yeah, it. I mean, it looks similar to to uh, all the rest of the lineup. But I guess they wanted. I think I'm not sure. We said that right. The CX three is the Mazda two, right? Correct. One is, that is correct. Is that what we said? Or not? We, no, you okay. said it wrong. I, okay. I deferred because yeah, I thought you, you had just written it. But yeah, yeah you're no. right. The CX three, which has already been around, is based on the two. Mazda uh, that's correct. it. Yes. The, that's the new CX thirty, which is what we're talking about now, right. is based on the Mazda yeah. three. That makes much more sense. Okay, so that makes more sense. However, as I remember the. The specs, it actually has got a little – it's a little more confined on the inside because of the of its swoopiness. It looks a little bit more like a coupe. But anyway, it just seems like you've got a you're, – you're slicing that onion so thin you can barely see it. Yeah. People yeah. want their crossovers. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I do think it's attractive. 
It is. It's, a, it's attractive. It's comfortable. It is extremely user-friendly. I will definitely mm-hmm. give it those points. One of the things I like about it, and I know, John, you always like to laugh a little bit because I'm one of the younger guys on the team, but I like, you know, buttons and knobs and not touchscreen and technology well, as much. Well, that's good. And, it um, just shows you've got your head screwed on. <laughs> and uh, one of the things in the CX-30 is that there is no touchscreen. It is only mm. buttons and knobs that are located directly by your right hand, and Mazda's done a really good job designing it so that your eye line doesn't have to move far away from the road to look at what you're doing on the screen while you're you know, turning knobs and touching buttons over by your, your right hip, and it's right where your hand naturally falls if you go to put it down there. So it is user-friendly in that aspect. Very so much you so. drove it in bad weather. Uh, yep. You still felt secure in yep, it? Yep, still felt secure. was still very comfortable. You know, the uh, they did a lot of work on their audio system, the kind of the same work they did on the Mazda 3 that we reviewed in the spring, or that I did my first drive, my first first drive with MotorWeek, actually, back in the spring. Yeah, you're still green. And, <laughs> with and, no. and uh, you know, the audio system is fantastic. They did a lot of work on making the acoustics better, and they were uh, moved some speakers around to places where that other manufacturers aren't mm-hmm. doing so, and uh, it does sound really nice. So if you, you know, young, young couple, small family, family family just starting, you know, not not a bad car to get you around town where you need to go. You know, long before you uh, joined the staff, and actually I'm not sure you were born yet, when uh, <laughs> we when Mazda was making its first forays into the American market, we often referred to them on Motor Week as, you know, the the um, the BMW of, your, of, you know, Japanese brands and, and denoting that they not only tried to put a little bit more sportiness in their vehicles, but also did things a little differently. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not been easy for the brand, but it's nice to see that they're holding true to, to some of their original uh, tenants. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to a a much more clearer picture, although maybe not, of what it is. That's the 2020 BMW. I'm sure BMW. we can muddy it up somehow. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Uh, just leave it to me, Brian. You don't even have to help. BMW Z4 M40i, the Z4 Roadster, which, of course, we all know is the basis for the new Supra. Um, Three-liter turbo, same engine, uh, the i6, same engine that's in the Supra, 382 horsepower, 0 to 60, a little under 4. Um, I love this car. I, I think the evolution of the Z4 is, is pretty spectacular. Who wants to start? Uh, I can chime in a little bit. You can also get the base uh, four-cylinder mm-hmm. uh, as well. You don't have to spend 65 if you don't want to. Uh, it's about, what, 55 or If so. you do, uh, it, you'll be very happy you did. Uh, it's a pretty incredible car. I enjoyed it. Um, this one goes back to a soft top only. Which I think, um, I, I happen to like that, yeah, personally. There's really there's really no reason not to. I mean, it's just as quiet as the hard top. Folds up a lot more compactly, and you actually have a trunk now. Mm-hmm. With the SLK going away from uh, Mercedes, I don't think this car is going to have any real competition, is it? I guess from Porsche, perhaps. Yeah, Boxster, definitely yeah. still up there. That's about it. Any uh, comment, Greg? Yeah, I think it actually separated itself pretty well from the Supra. I mean, that's kind of like the uh, elephant in the room I feel like we're ignoring right now. It's just that this is the same basic car. Uh, but it it really isn't, I think, when you drive it because they are they They've try to accomplish two separate they try to yeah, accomplish two separate goals yeah. yeah and they do feel yeah. way different i mean the suspension in the supra versus this z4 is much different i mean oh, this yeah. is softer sprung it's not sloppy or anything but it doesn't have that more like on rail yeah, yeah more of a tour yeah. um everything felt more i mean because 
this is the BMW with the badge on the front. I mean, you get in it and you're like, okay, this feels normal. Whereas when you get into the Supra, and even though there are Toyota touches on that one, uh, you know, it feels a little out of place. Everything feels right here. Uh, it does feel great. Great to drive top down. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Quite quiet, actually. I was surprised top up or down, uh, even with the, you put the wind blocker with down, but even the top up, I can remember, you know, we used to complain mercifully about um, uh, convertible tops being noisy, but I guess this has got probably three or four layers in it. They, yeah, and it is definitely different than the Supra. I mean, they started with basic chassis and then once they're separate it. ways, yeah, yeah suspension is totally different. The Supra is more like the Z4 than the Z4 is like the Supra, like Greg yeah. said. The interior is way more mm-hmm. BMW than. And- if you're comparing at home the numbers, I mean, I can tell them right here that Super actually has 335 horsepower compared to, the, and I'm talking about the M40i we had in to drive, not the four specifically, yeah. yeah. So comparing those 382 for the Z4 M40i versus 335 in the Supra, uh, again same engine, uh, and then zero to sixty is actually quicker in the z4 than in the supra which uh, is interesting because uh you, you know certainly i think most people think it's the other way around right but yeah. i think again supra is going for a little bit more balance i think they had an, a vision and they said this is the horsepower yeah. we want this is how we want it to handle a road course we're not super concerned about straight line speed yeah and i gotta think that was probably in bmw's contract as well sure their engine got to keep the more powerful correct. one yeah, yeah. but that, another thing is is i think they also underestimate how much power those engines are putting out i mean it was powerful at the you know at the track you know that i can definitely attest to the you know estimated 3.90 to 60 and then the quarter mile was upwards of 118 miles an hour Hmm. and um yeah it it got you there that's for sure run out of track real quick yeah you do all right let's move on to uh we don't often talk on our podcast about our long-term updates but we should because we've got some very interesting vehicles in right now so um Gosh, how do you want to do this? you want to talk about them all at once or go down well, the list? I sort of uh, yeah, organized them roughly into um, – well, maybe I didn't. I, we should probably start with some, <laughs> some of our older ones like the Honda Insight, um, which is probably going to be leaving soon. Yeah, and it's been such a, a go-to vehicle. Like if you just want to get home and do it efficiently – you know, no nonsense. It's a good highway car. The Insight, I, I've thought it's been one of my favorites for the last and year. As of our last update, or soon to come update, is uh, 52 miles per gallon, and that's over. That's just our fuel economy, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not just highway. No, it's not it, just city. That's that that's is everything. what we've had over a year. It's 52 miles per gallon, which and I a, think is huge. And yeah. a little while back, I did uh, take it on a little road trip mm-hmm. all the way up to Northern Connecticut and back, and. I tell you what, I uh, saved a lot of money not bringing that as opposed to bringing my truck. Oh my <laughs> it was I, great on the on the fuel economy for that ride. But I remember the first trip when I first got it in. I took it on a trip down to the Carolinas, and I thought, well, you know, is the engine droning from the CVT becoming going to become a little problem? It really wasn't. Uh, but when you mashed it, I was actually shocked at how well it accelerated around you know fast traffic. So. Yeah, you can throw stones at it for a couple of reasons, but I, you know, right now yeah, with cars that. out of favor, it's it's <laughs> a pretty impressive piece of work. No, it, I, the CVT and the engine 
do work fairly well, and it is fairly quiet on the highway, but it gets loud at weird times. Like mm-hmm. the engine really revs when, when you sometimes first off. when you're not expecting. Sometimes when you're just yeah, yeah. sometimes you're right. when you're just tooling around in town, all of a sudden the engine just yeah. starts revving. I don't know what it's doing, but it's My a little annoying. That. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it's a little loud. But the the, uh, the other hybrid will stick with that. Uh, the Rav Four, just a standard hybrid, not plug in. Rav Four, uh, which we'll be taking down to Roebling here soon. You know. I think it's what fifteen hundred bucks for the hybrid. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's it's money well spent. And now, of course, they're going to do the. They've got the plug-in coming soon. They really, you know, we knew they did a good job redoing the Rav Four, trying to take it a little bit back to basics. But they've also taken it way upscale. It's a really impressive compact. I do like driving the Rav Four. I think it's more comfortable than the Insight. If we we're going to do a comparison, I enjoy driving the Rav Four. The seats are higher, yeah. and I think maybe a little better padded. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue that. Of course, you don't get the mileage, but you're still doing what thirty eight. Yeah, unheard That's up of there for yeah. that yeah. size of vehicle. Yeah, I've recommended that Rav Four to so Me many too. people, especially, and I would absolutely buy the hybrid as well. While we're on that, let's uh, flip over to uh, another uh, um, plug-in hybrid, the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. I'm more impressed with that than I expected to be. I thought, all right, it's it's kind of a dated design. They've sort of put a Band-Aid on it. They've thrown a, a battery in it and a plug. But everywhere I go, people want to know what it is. They like the look of it. It's been very useful on the inside. Comments? I have mixed feelings on it. Uh, in many ways, I've grown to like it. Uh, I had it for an extended period of time last mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great everyday vehicle and tons of room in there, very flexible interior. Um, but as far as the miles per gallon, granted, it is all-wheel drive, but we're averaging 35. Which is less which than, is the, less RAV than the RAV4. And it's way less than the Nero plug-in hybrid, yeah. which we had in last year. Granted, that was only front-wheel drive, but we were getting 60 miles a gallon mm-hmm. in that thing. This thing, barely half that. Yeah, and 22 miles of EV range. I think it, I like driving it when it's just all electric. And, yeah. you know, like you said, it's spacious. Um, but I think it's a little disconcerting when you see that fuel gauge go down so quickly. Mm-hmm. The battery the gauge? Yeah, just, well, yeah. no, no, I'm well, just fuel gauge. Just, just, because uh, yeah, cause yeah. when you do run out of that 22 miles, you're running on basically just like generator power, which right. is what the engine is. And it's just, it just seems like it goes down pretty quick quicker mm-hmm. than it should yeah. i i don't want to lose uh focus though that generally this size of suv we're lucky to see 25 26 27 True. combined and we're seeing 35 mostly around town so it's like it's still you know and you can get this vehicle at a pretty good uh, price if you got a mitsubishi dealer near you and you're looking for an suv that's efficient um you'd be kind of a fool not to look I, that way i think a lot of people would be surprised with it. it's fast yeah. too yeah it is fast yeah it's that's one thing i was going to say is i was pretty surprised at how quick it is you mm-hmm. know trying to overtake someone on the highway and stuff like that you get the power shows shows up pretty quickly and you can uh definitely make a nimble little move if you have to and get where you need to go well, that's kind of like a nice segue into the Macan S, isn't it? Yep. Nimble little moves. Yeah, nimble little moves. And fast. <laughs> yeah, so fast. We just put um, winter tires on it. Uh, I got to say, it actually kind of settled it down a little bit. It mm. just kind of smooths out the ride. And I, I'm not saying that I would want to drive around on winter tires all the time. Well, you wouldn't be driving for a long time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think there's a valid argument that if you're not like all the way in on performance, you could get in this car and think it's a little too hyper. Uh, but these tires actually settle it down a little bit. They do. It, it feels good. I mean, it's a, it's become a really comfortable car. I took it out. I had a, the last snow storm we got. 
and uh, I just went out driving just for the heck of it, and uh, I couldn't get the thing to break loose at all. Wow. Pretty amazing yeah. vehicle. Um, it's comfortable. It's got enough luxury to keep most people happy, and yet you know under your feet you've got basically more than the heart of a 911. I mean, you've got they've just done an amazing job. I think you'd have to step back and say, has anybody, or I'll ask the question, has anybody done a better job of engineering a performance SUV? I don't think so. Um, I really thought about it. There might be specific instances of vehicles, but Mm brand-wide, I would say Porsche does the best job by far. They've done a great job on this one. Uh, Let's backtrack a little bit. Um, We have another sedan in our livery, uh, which was our family sedan winner last year uh, in our Driver's Choice Awards, the Nissan Altima. We're doing 30 MPG on that, which is very respectable. Very comfortable car. I've done a couple long drifts trips with it. Long drifts. Wow. Drifts. Getting sideways. I have not missed the fact that it's not, you know, a utility at all. It's it's a nice car. Yeah, I have to uh, put my kid in a child, rear-facing child seat back there. I don't mind it. I mean, some of the SUVs we have in are actually tighter than that getting yeah, in. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is just bend down a little bit more, but honestly, there's more space in the back of the sedan. And, you know, when you open up the trunk, okay, you don't have the height, but the load floor is so low that if you've got something heavy like 40 five-pound dog food bags like I do, it's a lot easier to get it in and get it out. So, I mean, everybody's so hung up on SUVs, but, you know, if if price is an object and you want something really nice, don't walk away from the sedan market. Between the folding rear seats and the fact that so many of the trunks now have been so well engineered to give you absolutely the maximum amount of usable space and that low lip, they've got some, uh, they still have some advantages, but very nice vehicle, very comfortable Almost a luxury car feel to it. Uh, nice improvement on materials. Can, I would know. echo the comfort. It's mm-hmm. uh, very comfortable. I'll put it up there uh, with the Camry as far as just uh, long-distance seat yeah. comfort. And a lot to be said for their powertrains, or at least their engines. Their engines are really, really good. And last one is the newest one. The Hyundai Palisade, and it's uh, it's got about 1,500 miles on it now, and I've been driving it more than anybody else, uh, and it I've done quite a few trips with it. You know, it's got a great ride. It is not gushy at all because they always look at it and say, well, the Palisade's a little more luxury-oriented than its counterpart, the Kia. Tell you right. I've driven both of them back-to-back. A lot of people out there think one drive's a little different than the other. It's so minor, I can't get it. I took it over the mountains up to um, central PA uh, in a snowstorm, uh, great traction, very comfortable, certainly cavernous on the inside. It's got actually more cargo room, I think, than the standard Tahoe. Um, good infotainment system. A little the screen sometimes a little confusing when you're trying to get back to, uh, to home. Uh, that would be my only complaint. And I have one other little minor, minor gripe. They've almost constantly, this is the top trim level, constantly you get in it and you've got your brake on, your parking brake. And if you buckle up and all and you give it a little gas, it'll come off automatically. But the temptation is to release it manually. And there's a little light down on the lower part of the screen and you have to reach for this little uh, flip switch, which is sort of hidden behind the steering wheel. They could have done a little bit better job on that, put, put that 
maybe a parking brake on the console. However, the console itself, because it's, um, it doesn't have a gear shift on it, uh, is uh, cavernous and very useful. So my first impressions are terrific. We're doing about um, between city, highway, about 23 to 24 on it. We haven't done a, an official report on the first mileage yet. But no wonder there's a three-month waiting list at some dealers for wow. uh, for the Palisade. Huh. And it's no wonder. Uh, do you like the look of it? You've seen it. It's a little too boxy. Uh, it's or? okay. I'm not like in love with it. Yeah, yeah I think looks it, like a freight train. It's a little, a little odd looking. Well, it I, looks a lot like I think like the uh, the uh, X8 from BMW. I could see a comparison yeah. there. That kind of long but uh, chopped off hood. Mm-hmm. It definitely has that luxury image mm. over the Telluride. Yeah, the that's quilted for sure. looking. Yeah, but I've I've had people all. ask me in the same yeah. sitting like. Is that the Telluride? And like, yeah, it's the Telluride. And then they look at the Palisade, and they're like, is that the same car or same truck? And I'm Basically. like, yeah, I mean, it is. And they very clearly lean toward the Telluride in mm-hmm. first impressions. Mm-hmm. The uh, the only real you know mechanical differences is that, uh, well, of course, the Telluride is made in the U.S. where the, the um, uh, Palisade <laughs> is imported. But the Palisade does have power-folding third-row seats. And... The Telluride to this at this point doesn't. So, if you're really looking for maximum utility, that's something that some people will consider. But very happy with it. Hope we have a long distance, huh? So then you got to wait for them to go down. It it takes a second. Yeah, but you try being not uh, height height (laughs) challenged and reach in there and flip it manually. It's not so easy. Okay. So uh, some people I think will find that a real plus. All right, lightning round. We've got 30 seconds to uh, give our trending automotive topic a a whirl, and here we go. Despite the North American International Auto Show being moved from January to June this year, the awards for North American Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year were just given out at the new renamed TCF Center, which is a bank in Detroit. It's not Cobo Center anymore? Not Cobo Center anymore. Um, Here's the rundown. Car of the year, no big surprise, the uh, Chevrolet Corvette Stingray, the new C8. Uh, The Kia Telluride you were just talking about got utility of the year. And for truck of the year, it was the Jeep Gladiator. And keep in mind that these awards are supposed to be for the new, cut. you know, whatever pushes the envelope in the class, not necessarily the best. Uh, Because I think that most everybody would agree that Gladiator might be a little controversial. And with that said, what did you guys happen to think about the three choices? Nothing really surprises me there in the bunch. I feel like the last couple of years I've thought, wow, I didn't think that would win. Um, This year, Corvette seems like a a good choice for car of the year. I I have not driven it. No, you have, but uh, I understand why I was given that. You know, based on what you just said, the award really is It's supposed to be for some – it's not meant to be – like our awards, our Driver's Choice Awards are – Supposed to be awards that drivers like driving the best. These awards from the outset were supposed to be what pushes the envelope or does something new in the segment, being a price class or whatever. Um, it's interesting that both Telluride and Gladiator were the finalists, and they did finish 1-2. A lot of us thought that they would cancel each other all out, and the, the other uh, finalist, the Lincoln Aviator, might win, but it didn't happen. Uh, there was, like you said— uh, gravitation towards the Telluride. 
Uh, yeah, I, nothing to really add. Uh, Corvette, definitely a no-brainer. Uh, I have mixed feelings on the Jeep. You know, mm-hmm. it's a great Jeep. Uh, I don't think it's really a particularly great pickup truck. Um, and, you know, but, that was the kind of the murmur in the crowd among the people that voted. They were yeah. saying, you know, I voted because it's really different well, and it pushes, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't had something like that to really have but not stand alone. And it's not the greatest truck in the world because the bed's too short. Yeah, there, you can't fit anything in yeah, there. Yeah, I think that's the easiest one to pick on, probably. Yeah, probably but it's also so. at the same time, it's the safe pick. I mean, the most of the country and you know consumers are going to be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But new, new Jeep pickup truck. But just yeah. about every other award's gone to the Ram, heavy duty or Rams series or whatever. But it is a it is a unique vehicle, obviously, yeah. and it's uh, I enjoy every time I drive. It's one, cool, yeah. but it's just you know it's hard to. It's not the best value or the most capable pickup out there, but mm. it is definitely the newest thing in the segment. So, yeah, and when we had one here in the fleet, you know, every time I drove it home, you know, people it turned heads. People would always you know look over their shoulder on the highway and see me coming, and you know stare at the Jeep. Uh, stare that was at the probably you, not the Jeep. Yeah, I mean, I, I am kind of funny looking. But, A lot. You, know. <laughs> well, you said it. We won't comment. A lot of people have commented though that they like the fact that it's got a relatively short. Not short, done. Uh, not a real tall bed, so you can actually stand outside and reach in it and pull something out, which you really cannot do unless you're Greg's uh, over six foot height than most of the pickups out today. So um, we don't uh, didn't ring our bell. Ring the bell there. All right, we'll bring that to a close. We've got a viewer question from Ray. What actually drives the wheels in a PHEV? Is it the electric motor motors? Or the gas engine? Is it both? Who wants to tackle that one? Oh, it depends on the one. Uh, on the PHEV, they all have different setups. A lot of them are strictly electric until that runs out, and then you get strictly gas. A lot of them work in conjunction like a regular hybrid. Now, most of them uh, work through the engine, and uh, once your battery is depleted, act just like a regular hybrid. But I'm sure you have a better explanation. No, that's it. I mean, the only there's a couple of them that that where the engine is nothing but a generator and one of them the Chevrolet Volt's no longer built and even there there was like one percent of the time that the gas engine would power the wheels but generally speaking it was just a generator and there's something else that skips my mind I guess we mentioned the Outlander Outlander and the i3 from BMW which when it has its little helper motor in those cases the internal combustion engine is a generator alone. I would imagine if we made a list of all the performance-oriented PHEVs, mm-hmm. they would all be have some drive line from yeah. the engine to the wheels because you would need to supplement power, right? Yeah, because generally speaking, the electric motor is not that powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, so I hope, Ray, that asks your questions. You, you really probably are going to have to do a little bit of deep dive and research yourself. Now, if somebody actually asked... Which is better? I personally would rather know that both are connected to the drivetrain, to the in myself, just in case one fails. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like if you're in something that where the gasoline engine is just a, a generator, and something goes wrong with the electric motor, you're kind of stuck. So yeah, and there's some where the ga- the electric motors only power the front wheels, yeah. or only power the rear wheels, and then the gas engine. Only powers, you know, one axle as well. So. And even in hybrids, I mean, the um, 
the um, uh, Toyota Highlander uses a, an electric motor for its in the in the Highlander Hybrid. The rear axle is turned only by an electric motor right. to give it uh, four wheel drive, and you're going to see more of that. That's actually something that's been coming a long time. The rumor is that the redone um, Chrysler uh, Pacifica minivan. Uh, we'll have an an all wheel drive model for the first time since it's yeah. been called that. That was the rumor last last time before this one came. That's out. right, and it it'll be uh, an electric only rear wheel drive system that they're borrowing from some other view from those uh, um, uh, Jeep uh, EVs that they just showed. Anyway, I hope that answers your question, Ray. Rant and rave. Anybody got something they want to praise or trash or? I got a rant. Mm-hmm. Um, the we have a Mercedes CLS in right now, mm-hmm. and I want to go plug in my USB. And I, I, the only reason I'm singling this car out is just because we had it. But when manufacturers really tuck the USB like all the way oh, in something, oh, yeah. and not just I understand if you have a large, a tall bin that you can get your hand into and reach back there, that's fine. It, the USB is out of the way, but this one is like one of those pop up uh, containers oh. or uh, pockets. And I can't even get my hand in there to to get the USB. And so when you grasp something with like a fist, you can't even get your whole hand in there. So it's like you have to pinch it between two fingers and then like slide it back there so that your hand's as flat as possible. It's like it was yeah. an afterthought. Right. Almost. So yeah. that's the specific case in this car. But there's others where they're just – I understand they want to hide them, but they don't look that bad. I'd rather be able to just reach them readily. So that's my rant. I think yeah. that's a very legitimate one. I I would go one step further, but it's probably just shows you how stupid I am. I have it always takes about five times to hook it in because I've usually got the uh, the connector turned oh, upside yeah. down. It's really it takes at least three times: yeah. the wrong yeah. way, the wrong yeah. way, yeah. and then the yeah. right yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's a good place. Uh, let's do us the right way and wrap up our Motorweek podcast number two hundred twenty-one. I want to thank everybody around the table, Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Kyle Scanlon, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for making us sound a lot better than we have any right to sound. Uh, Greg, of course, is the producer for the podcast, and our creator is Bob Mixter. Thanks to all of you out there that listen. Be sure to catch Motor Week on your local public television station. If you haven't found us, shame on you. Go to motorweek.org and uh, pull down at the top, and you can find out where we are seen in your locale. Or search us out on the Motor Trend Cable Network. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks very much to all of you for being a part of the Motor Week family. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.